This is Chris Miranda. So this conversation, uh, my apologies in advance because my computer uh, was acting screwy uh, when we recorded this combo, and so I lost the first seven minutes of the conversation. Um, once again, my apologies, but it's been fixed, and uh, I will have Chris on the podcast sometime in the future so that we can come back <clears throat> harder, faster, stronger than ever before. And regardless, this was a good, a really good conversation. I learned a lot about what OSVR is doing, and I think you're going to uh, hopefully, I hope you enjoy it. Um, quick announcements before you, we I throw you off into the rabbit hole. If you're in San Francisco, April 29th, I will be hosting a Women in VR panel um, at Pivotal Labs. Uh, check into VR.net or the Metaverse Scholars Club on meetup.com, and there will be more info there about that. Um, should be a lot of fun. Now, without further ado, enjoy the show. Source projects or anything like that. We do our design internally. We we, we try and make the product as perfect as possible, and um, then we launch it. Mm-hmm. Uh, OSVR obviously is a very very different approach, simply because we don't think that a single company alone can um, can solve all the problems that are still there in VR that are in the way of of creating this amazing experience that we all want. So in a sense, you're sort of crowdsourcing the development of the HMD hardware um, by letting um, it be accessible no, so or moldable. Mold. No, no, no. no. I mean, <laughs> okay, let me so, clarify. And when, um, let me. And before you go, uh, how does a uh, 
I know, I, I know where we're going. I know where we're going. By the way, uh, we're headed into open source. Can you define, in the context of Razor, what is what does open source mean to to Razor? Um, so, in in context of of the software, it's mm -hmm. uh, it's open source under Apache two point license. Mm -hmm. So, um, it's it's essentially everyone can contribute, everyone can help drive it. We're looking at bringing in more partners to also define the roadmap of where things are going. Yeah. Ultimately, what we want to uh, be able to do is that everything belongs to uh, to to the whole community, to the open source community. Everyone can can branch off, contribute, and and uh, do whatever they want with it. Ultimately, um, as long as they um, contribute back to the to the overall platform, yeah. um, and uh, yeah, there's not a single company in, in in charge or in control of of that. So it's essentially similar to the Android of VR in, in a way, or yeah. even more closely, maybe the Linux of VR. And and so and, and you. When you see Linux and when you see Android, um, what is it about those platforms um, that you know the the lessons that you can take from them that you can apply to OSVR's future? Um, I th I think I mean there there are caveats and there there are, there are positives and there are uh, negatives I suppose for all of them. Um, on on the negative side, primarily is obviously the difficulty with dealing with multiple hardware configurations. I think that's probably the biggest challenge of OSVR. But on the bright side, uh, what it allows is for a lot more compet uh, competition mm -hmm. for the market to work together and a lot more innovation in that sense. So um, I think we're we're hoping to be able to replicate um, using this open source model. Um, to, to uh, get everyone to work together towards the same thing, to create that um, even uh, playing field in that sense where the best technologies win out as opposed to um, the companies with the best business development teams. Right. And by the way, just to let you know, I really, really like uh, OSVR and the idea behind it. I'm all for it. And because of that, right. I'm going to ask you really hard questions that I ask myself. <laughs> Because if you can help me at least, or at least we'll hit it. Oh, if we hit a wall or we hit we hit a precipice, that's even better. Because then I can I know where where we don't know things. But but I, I apologize if I ask you some hard questions. Okay. Um, no, absolutely. So 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 here it comes. Brace yourself. So uh, is uh, how about the user agreements um, with between Razer and uh, the people who will be you know playing with the hardware with the OSVR hardware? Will will there be you know, in in essence, what I'm saying is like, uh, is there is there fine print in all this where where a, a developer needs to make sure take note. By the way, you know, it's open source, but you know what I'm saying? Like, is there a fine print right. that people should keep in mind? Yes, absolutely. So, um, for software, I wouldn't say there's any fine print. It's it's a very very easy open source platform. Uh, Apache 2.0 license, no caveats whatsoever. Okay. Um. The hardware license is a bit of a different animal, um, simply because uh, we, we were looking at uh, open source hardware uh, licenses that are common, and, and the closest thing to it uh, that we we kind of found was Project Era. Um, so we, we modeled the entire, um, okay, so there are two different licenses in play, um, and so we kind of need to look at them separately. So the software is an easy one. Um, I, I don't think there's any caveats I, I would need to point out. On the hardware, it's a bit of a more complex system, but uh, as I mentioned, we modeled it after uh, Google's uh, Project Ara module development kit. Mm. Um, and 
the main thing is that anything that is developed, uh, any derivative work that is based on the um, MDK, which is a modular development kit uh, for the hardware, um, is automatically licensed back to Razer, which will then be relicensed back to the community under the MDK. So um, to maybe clarify, that does not mean that any IP developed or any pre-existing IP um, on the uh, that, that you bring onto the hacker development kit, for example, or using the MDK, um, will then all, all all of a sudden become Razor's property. Not at all. Um, so maybe to to clarify, like if you're um, uh, developing a gesture camera faceplate, for example, right? So the whole idea with the hacker development kit in the first place is that it's very modular um, and that you can bring your technologies on there very easily and make them work on on there. So. Um, if you now develop a new faceplate, so you use the existing faceplate designs that we make available open source, right? Mm -hmm. um, and you change it so that your camera can be Im integrated um, into that faceplate. Mm -hmm. um, what is then licensed back to Razer is just the design of the faceplate itself. Nothing to do with the camera, um, nothing um, that in any way like uh, infringes on your uh, on your original uh, intellectual property. Everything that you've developed prior to that is still yours. The only thing that is licensed back to Razer is the faceplate mount itself, as it is a derivative work of the hacker development kit itself. And what that allows us to do is keep the platform open um, so that uh, if if there's a faceplate that is really, really successful because of whatever camera, gesture camera is integrated onto the um, onto the uh, platform um, and now later on there, there's a new camera uh, provider um, that wants to integrate their camera, he should be able to just make sure that his camera can be mounted on the faceplate um, itself. So again, um, it, it's a, it's a, essentially a tool to keep the platform open by making sure that any derivative work that is based on um, the hacker development kit itself gets mm -hmm. licensed back. That does not mean that if you want to sell this, there's any, like, you can still um, commercialize it as you wish, right? So mm. you can uh, create your own faceplate, you can commercialize it, all great. Um, but at the same time, um, basically, we ensure that it's also made available open source in that sense. So basically, two things to know about the HEK. Um, while it is licensed back to Razer and, and then in return back to the community through their MDK, um, it does not impact any existing IPs and it's primarily uh, based, uh, primarily put in place to keep the platform open. And so in a way, this is very, very similar to how Project Ares, uh MDK is, is uh, designed. Interesting. Um, so let me paint you a scenario and, and, and feel free to... Uh, avoid this question or this scenario, but but I want to know what you think in this one. So let's say I, you know, buy my OSVR MD, MDK um, and I tweak it to the point where I change the faceplate, I add a cam, a pass-through camera, and now I have not virtual reality capabilities, but mediated reality capabilities where I'm seeing. So so there's no. There's there's no way to see the world unless I can see it through the cameras, and I'm having, right. uh, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna I turn it into my own device. So I, I call I I rebrand it, call it my own device, and start my own company called the Magic Leap Killer. Um, and then and then what do I, what happens then? Are you going to sue me? Are you? you know, what is what no. is what happens at that point? Like I mean, what are where are the limits of 
of what I can do in terms of monetization or changing things. So up. as I mentioned, in terms of commercialization, yeah. feel free to do so. So you can sell and all, all great. Uh, the only thing is that the CAD files that have been modified from the existing OSVR need to be licensed back in, in terms of open source. Mm. So um, all, all that requires is that whatever you develop based on the OSVR, um, uh, of the OSVR HDK, also gets, uh, gets uh, made available to the community. Yeah. But how you commercialize that is entirely up to you. Will there be? And, uh, there's no one going to be suing. Oh, okay, <laughs> that 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 is a good. Uh, that is. That, thank you. That's that, that's uh, reassuring. Um, will there be? Uh, you know, the sh sharing development environments like uh, GitHub or you know repositories where where you can. I think this is a, a lame question, but uh, you know, how will how will, for example, me in San Francisco know what someone else uh, has been doing in terms of uh, you know hacking the hardware. You know, right. will there be forums? Is, I don't know. Yeah, this is a good question. Um, there's two things that we're currently working on, which we should be seeing within the next one or two weeks. I'm, I would say, don't hold me to the timelines, but okay. um, generally, there's two things. A, we're, we're putting up a forum on the OSVR website. Um, that's one thing, and the other thing is that we're moving even the hardware designs and uh, schematics and drawings to GitHub as well. Okay. Um, so we we already have everything software-wise, every binary and whatnot available on. Uh, on the GitHub uh, that you can find through OSVR, uh, through the website. Um, but the hardware is also going to be moved there so that it's easier to kind of um, download them, get updates, and, and also contribute yourself. So because it's an open source, obviously GitHub is kind of built for that. Um, so we're moving the hardware there as well, the hardware designs, and updating the latest uh, schematics and drawings to them. Um, and the forum will be a, a platform where people can exchange. Yeah, ideas and stuff. That sounds awesome, and I won't hold you to the timeline. Uh, please take your time. <laughs> that makes sure, but yeah, but that sounds extremely exciting. So thank you. Um, and thinking about um your projections, like how, how you know in in this in deciding to jump into this and and and, and doing this, you know, and and, I, and I'm sure it's I I'm I'm glad you are for sure. Um, but you know, as you're seeing this market fluctuate or this future market market fluctuate like you know where do you project you guys will be um come quarter four 2016 are are, are you um are you expecting to sell 200,000 units 100,000 you know what what are your what are your your goals in the short term quarter four 2016 is, is short term <laughs> i i think so uh, okay um i i think uh, even so for us, uh, as Razor, as a company, um, the pr primary focus for us in terms of commercial aspect is um, the peripheral space. Um, I think there's a lot of work to be done in there, and that's where our expertise is. Like uh, we've, we, we're good in ergonomics, we're uh, in human interface devices in general. Um, that's where we're the market leader in gaming um, in the first place, and that where we've shown that um, given an uh, even or like a, a fair playing field, um, we can kind of kind of win out and 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 deliver the best possible product. So um, we're, that's what we're looking at more than like a lot of people ask us. Okay, so are you going to sell an HMD or anything like that? As I said, our focus is entirely on the peripheral space, and we're happy for for the guys like HEC and Oculus and whatnot to to do that uh, to do the head mounted displays, mm -hmm. um, while we focus on 
uh, on the peripheral space. And there's a lot of work to be done on that side. Obviously, we're, we're saying goodbye to the mouse and keyboard experience in VR to mm -hmm. a certain extent, but it's also going to be a gradual process. Right now, still a lot of the games are either using mouse and keyboard or, or controllers. Um, but to, to get a more immersive experience, uh, things like motion trackers, like we've done with the Hydra before, um, or, or now we're looking at, we're working with a lot of partners in motion um, sensing from Sixth Sense, of course, uh, but also Leap Motion and Soft Kinetic and basically Not Labs and a bunch of these guys, right? So mm -hmm. um, th that's ultimately the space that we're looking at. Um, it's a bit of a cop-out answer when you ask me about the units because uh, we don't, have any like unit forecasts um, that, that we're talking about at this point in time. Mm -hmm. um, but we're, we're looking to be able to definitely make it a viable commercial market uh, in 2016. That is, a, and I'm crossing my fingers for you, um, uh, rooting for you. How will you define success then? How, how do you know whether you're going in the right direction, whether you should continue, whether you should ramp up production? How, how do you know whether you're doing the right things? Um, I, I w would say that it's, it's a difficult question to answer, but, um, I, I would say that overall, um, as, as soon as, as, as a business unit, if you, if you were to look at VR as a specific category, as soon as that can become profitable, it's a success in a way, right? Because ultimately, um, Right now, VR requires a lot of investment from everyone, not just from us, obviously, from tons of companies everywhere. And ultimately, that's only going to work for so long because ultimately, there needs to be it needs to be possible to make money in this space as well. Um, and we're not like different than anybody else. Ultimately, there needs to be a return. Um, the good thing is we we're we don't need to rush it. We want to see it f faster than and maybe where it was going today. Um, that's why we're taking this OSVR approach uh, of, of bringing everyone together and work towards the same thing. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, um, we're hoping to see something, some commercial success in 2016, but it's not going to be the end of the world if it wasn't. Very cool. That means that you're in this for the long term, and I like Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you can see that with everything we do. Um, the closest... Um, comparison I can draw um, might be eSports, which is comes a bit out of the left field here, but um, eSports has traditionally been a very difficult um, market to make money in, and Razer has been in eSports since 1998, um, and we're now starting to see like returns on it, right? So um, it's something that, that as a company, it's, it's part of a DNA. We want to we wanna bring the gaming experience forward um, and uh, we don't do anything that is just short term and, and uh, we're always in it for the long haul. I like that. So as a developer, let's say I'm a VR developer and I have two, three, three, let's say I have three options. I have uh, my, in, for developing, I have uh, Oculus, I have a Valve HTC and then I have Sony. Um, how, uh, um, sell it, sell it to me, or, or I, I, that's a horrible way to saying it, but can you tell me why I should be compelled to develop for the OSVR, um, where, where I have these giant relatively right, companies? Right, you're getting all of them. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, 
the simplest answer. Um, ultimately, OSVR is designed, and, and we're talking to all of these partners. The DK2 is already supported, but we're talking to everyone else as well mm-hmm. to ultimately make any content or any game that's developed for OSVR um, compatible with any of these HMDs. So rather than getting one, you get all of them. That's the main thing. Um, obviously, uh, when we're looking at games as opposed to cinematic VR, there's a lot more input um, and peripherals that play a big role as well. Right? Whereas in, in cinematic VR, it's it's usually more of a one-way street in a way that you don't interact with it as much um, outside of like rotating your head and stuff. Um, but uh, once we start talking about uh, immersive input, like motion tracking and these kind of things, again, you have the same problem of which hardware to support and OCR solves that. Mm-hmm. And um, so the, the other interesting thing is that OSVR is kind of an evolving platform. You develop for it once, but every time there's a new HMD available, there are new updates available, you don't need to do anything as a content developer. Right. That work is done elsewhere. It allows you to focus on your game. And there are a lot of challenges in developing games for VR as it is without having to wonder about the technologies, right? Yeah. All of a sudden, there's a different type of storytelling available to you. There's a different set of controls available to you. There's the interface needs to be quite different. And then there are things that, that work in normal games like strafing that, that make no sense in, in VR because they induce motion sickness stuff like that so a lot of that has to be like rethought in terms of just what kind of game what kind of content do i want to develop without having to worry okay but how do i make it work on everything mm-hmm. and and so in in that sense it becomes a very um easy uh, decision to make to develop for us. Yeah, the other thing is that might be worth mentioning is that OCS is entirely cross-platform. So it already does run on Android, it runs on Windows, it runs on Linux, um, and more to be added as, as we go along through the open source community as well. Who is your, um, you know, I mean, I, at this point, I feel, I feel like your, your target audience is the enthusiast who likes open source, but you know, more in the long term, um, or as time progresses, how is that emphasis going to change? Are you going to go after more casual consumers, or are you staying strictly to gamers forever and ever? When, when... Oh, so for for Razer in itself, um, so, so again, for we can OSDR. Need to separate the for OSVR, yeah. everyone, um, as a developer itself, we're looking at yeah, any anyone, any game developer, anyone with interest in beyond and it goes way above gaming uh, we have interested parties we have car manufacturers we have adult video we have music we have uh, sports we have tourism um, retail real estate colleges like education um, there's interest from all uh, from all kinds of different industries uh, coming together, having an interest in the platform, wanting to come onto OSVR, and we're adding more and more of these partners officially as we go along. Um, so it's not not limited to gaming. Our own, we, we kind of focus on the gaming experience and we make sure that we work with, with game publishers and game developers primarily. Um, but as it is an open source platform, it's open to everyone and there's interest from all aspects um, of, well, not just aspects of the industry, but all kinds of industries. Yeah, I agree. And it's very exciting. Um, and you're uh, kind of out of left field. You know, what is your biggest hope for the virtual reality industry as it goes forward? Um, to, to kind of go the smartphone way, I suppose, to be as disruptive as smartphone to me personally. Like, um, I mean, what smartphones, I mean, 
today in in the modern world uh people that can afford a smartphone have a smartphone like there's no way around it right um and and i'm hoping that eventually vr is that kind of mainstream um uh as, as smartphones are today that if you watch a movie you you play a game whatnot um you do that in a vr enabled space as, as much as possible and VR, it's not just vr by the way uh while we label it as vr it also caters for augmented reality so or mixed reality um so uh, osvr generally supports any of those and when we talk about osvr um the name might be misleading uh, as it says virtual reality, but it, it includes any of these augmented reality, mixed reality, virtual reality, all of that. Mm-hmm. Where, where do you see yourself com- competing with, I mean, cause here's the thing. I, there's an open source version of the metaverse coming along. Um, and there's going to be the walled gardens version of the, of the metaverse. And, you know, what are the, and I'm sure this is something you kind of touched a little bit about, or a little, a little bit on a little earlier ago. But um, what do you think will be the strengths of having a open source ecosystem for hardware and software um, for the consumer? I mean, you know, what what would we, what would, why would the regular person off the street go uh, and support an open source version of the metaverse versus a closed walled gardens? Because there are a ton of problems that single companies alone are not able to overcome at this point in time. So um, it, it keeps the market open, it keeps the market um, available to everyone, and uh, that allows, like generally competition is good. The more competition you have, the better for the end user. And that's in essence why anyone should be supporting OSVR, because it ensures that competition will be around for as long as VR is around as opposed to a world of garden where um yeah one company can, can can take control of the entire thing and then um well could get lazy hmm. in that sense where do you see open source virtual reality in general not just osvr from you know the project that you guys are working on but but just open source virtual reality in general uh need the most improvement in um okay so i mean virtual reality there are a few key issues still today, right? One uh, is, is, as always, is the latency issues, right? Um, you, to to kind of fully move away from from the current issues, um, latency needs to be near near zero, essentially, or um, under twenty milliseconds or so to have like uh, uh, no swimming effect and no motion sickness. But then there are still other issues which some companies are trying to address like um using vr and having the screen right in front of you obviously with current display technologies um it's still um you still have that issue that you're looking at something and um you can't change focus of what what is in focus in in your um screen as opposed to um in in real life where looking around and you can change focus of your eyes um like these kind of things are you know, like unnatural um, or, or yeah, I would say unnatural uh, things that, that the brain just doesn't c- compute very well um, that need to be adjusted. And there are light field technologies that can address that. Um, there are like time warping and, and GPU and uh, improvements that are like going direct and removing buffering and all that kind of stuff that can improve latencies. So there's um, lots of these kind of things. The other thing is that um, 
the the way this office is still an issue um, uh, to kind of really make it worse if you can't feel like something's weighing down on your head feel the view can still be improved um, and then ultimately how do you make the input immersive as well so um, it's one thing to to kind of feel or like you look around and it feels like you're there but then the second you want to interact how do you make make that available and now obviously companies like emotion or soft kinetic that bring your your hand gestures and, and uh, all that into um into a game potentially into virtual reality so one step but then how do you deal with haptic feedback and and um stuff like that so there's still there's just so many different aspects to get to this like perfect experience um obviously so i I kind of went through this in terms of priority, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the first ones are latencies and, and display technologies um, that, that need to, to get better and field of view. Um, and then immerse, uh, more intuitive uh, peripherals and more intuitive input devices, probably the secondary uh, thing to look at. Uh, they're not as required for cinematic VR, for example, so you can already get nice VR experiences that might not just be perfect for gaming, but then that's a second step to be taken, I suppose. Yeah, so, so walk me through the, you know, how will how will the distribution process look like? I mean, I know you guys are releasing your development kit in June, right? Um, and and right. so... But I mean, will there be a consumer model? I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. How how will that work out if there will be one? And you know, how will you distribute that um, that that hardware? So we're not looking at a consumer uh, product for for an HMD. We're looking ultimately as OSVR. Mm-hmm. There's a the hacker development kit is primarily meant for developers um, and for both on the software and hardware side um, to to bring out their own technologies and to develop content for it. But the beauty of OSVR is that it's hardware agnostic, right? So. Um, you can use a DK2 today, you can use a Fusix, you can use a VR Union, HMD, whatever it is, um, to develop for OSVR. So the hardware for, for the software side of things is not even that crucial. Um, it's uh, we we built it and we designed it as a support for the for the software platform, but it's not the be all and all um, of of OSVR as as a um, as a platform, um, on the hardware side of things, the primary purpose is to uh, allow technology providers as well to um, to kind of bring out their own technologies and compete on even terms. And and like as a head tracker developer, for example, you put in your head tracker because it's so modular. And, um, you just put in your head tracker, and you're immediately good to go. Have a working prototype and a proof of concept, and com- can compete on even terms in that sense. Hmm. That, that sounds. Are, are you still there? Yes. Okay. Yeah, that sounds. Yeah, yeah, that sounds. That sounds interesting. Um, you know, for some reason, I was under the impression that you guys that there was going to be some form of OSVR that I was going to be able to get at, at GameStop or something. Um, but but that would be a, a if if ever it would be a, a a a device that someone used OSVR, remixed it, and licensed it out, and you know went through. A, a process to get well it into the, the market. Okay. Um, yeah. W- stepping away from OSVR just a little, uh, from uh, for a little bit. You know, where do you think? You know, um, where do you think the most money will be made in virtual reality? Uh, and I think this might be a little easy, but I want to know your perspective on this. Um. In in terms of which industry or which uh, 
like I mean between hardware and software there's already like on the hardware side of things most money's obviously in 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 some sort of HMDs yeah. or VR-enabled uh, head-mounted displays. Yeah. Um, between hardware and software, I mean, a lot of the money will be made in software at the end of the day yeah. and in content, commercialized content, whether it's games, whether it's movies, whatever it is. So, um, and then that's still just looking at the consumer space when, when you're looking at at, the, uh, at other space like medical applications and military applications. Um, there's probably even more money in there, but we're not like actively looking at it uh, from our side of things, of course. Um, but some, there's money to be made that that sometimes dwarfs what what we look at in the consumer space. Interesting. Yeah. I, I, so if, if I were an investor and I'm not, I... and this is where I lost the rest of the conversation. There's at least 15 minutes that um, of good conversation that Chris and I had that I just weren't able to rescue. Um, I do have five, the last five minutes or so uh, where we went a little wild. Uh, that sounded wrong. Um, and so I'll, I'll, I'll give you that. And again, my apologies to Chris and, and to the listeners. Um, I, I Don't worry. I, I now have my shit together. And I'm going to have Chris back so we can do this thing all over again. Um, bigger, better, faster, more badass. Um, thank you again for listening and putting up with my shit. I hope you have a great day. So I'm recording and yeah, you know what? I really en enjoyed the conversation you walked me through. I have just a, a, a couple more questions if, if that's okay with you. Absolutely. Nice. Um, so, you know, for you, like you personally, what is it that motivates you to be a part of virtual reality? You know, tell me about you a little bit. Um, um okay. My first virtual reality experience doesn't reach as far back as maybe some other people that we're now working with when they come to me and say, yeah, we were part of the first wave in 1990 or so. Um, my first experience was actually uh, on EVR, the first time um, Oculus and, and uh, on the DK1, I think that was, um, and and basically space fighting, what what is it called, a space sim, dog fighting simulation, I suppose. Hmm. Um and it was a pretty amazing experience already then. Um, and I think that's when person, like as personally, I, I started taking an interest in, in VR, um, not knowing that actually we started looking into this space as well. And then uh, I was officially brought on board with the project itself, maybe slightly over a year, one and a half years ago when it was already uh, going on. And I immediately jumped on the opportunity because it's a very exciting space. It's, like lots of stuff happening. I mean, we've been even just with OSVR, we've had um, announcements every month. We've we've been going to see SGDC, VRLA, like events everywhere. Um, and and these, it's it's kind of exciting to see the different industries that are taking interest in VR. Or like for for me, something that I was absolutely unaware of is that um, there are companies that have been in VR for so long, which I was absolutely unaware of like there are major car manufacturers coming to us and they're like oh we'd be happy to bring our knowledge in vr to to you and i'm i'm sitting there it's like what do you know about vr and then it turns out they've been working in that space for like 10 20 years and and spending a significant amount of of dollars in research and development um in 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 that space so to me just seeing how how so many different industries um are excited 
um, about something that kind of brings them all together. That that to me make, makes it quite interesting. Obviously, I'm a gamer at heart, and and my my primary um, goal is ultimately to see some of of my favorite games in a virtual reality um, environment. But uh, just seeing also like we've been talking to Hollywood movie production companies now, something that I didn't really. Um, see myself doing with a marketing job at Razer, to be honest. So huh. it, it's kind of cool. Yeah, that sounds really awesome. It, it, give me your top three game worlds, like, memories, places that you were, used to game, be a gamer in that you would like to relive in VR. I think my my top one would be Final Fantasy. What? Seeing a Final Fantasy in virtual reality would be pretty amazing. Can you pick I've a number? I'm a big fan of... of can we begin? Uh, can you pick a number? Which Final Fantasy? Sorry to interrupt, by I the liked, way. I liked 8, I liked 10. Um, cool. Uh, I'm, I'm playing 11 at the moment. It's, it's okay. It's a, it's a bit repetitive, but 8 and 10 are probably my favorite ones. Nice. And then the other two? Uh, the other two also. Two, two more games? Yeah. Oh, good God. Um, I think what would be cool would be something like Doom. Um, like just... Or any other horror game. Doom, like when I played, what was it? Doom. I don't know which one. I think Doom 3. Um, we played that, like when the first time I played that, like entire uh, room dark and all that, it was already fucking scary. I, I'm not supposed to say that. <laughs> no, but, you can say whatever you uh, want. scary. Yeah. Um, and, and doing that in VR would would be pretty amazing I think as well like would be really really scary I've seen some some horror game demos in VR already that that were kind of frightening um, so seeing that on one of the major um, like game titles in that genre would be pretty cool third title maybe something fun like Mario or even Mario Kart <laughs> mm, yes I'm with you 100% um, yep so there you go. That's a that's a that, that is a quite a splendid list. I would never touch Doom with a ten foot pole in VR uh, ever. So so kudos to you, um, Chris Mitchell. You are fucking awesome, and you are a true scholar and gentleman of virtual reality. I really appreciate your time. Um, how can people stay in touch, and how can people get involved with the you know OSVR initiative, and you know and get in touch with you if if that's a if that's a thing. <laughs> Chris, thanks for having me. Um, the easiest way to, to um, get in touch is go to the website. Um, it's osvr.com. Fairly easy to remember. Um, and um, either uh, come to the forum um, or, or click the join button and get in touch through that. And awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you again. All right. Thank you, Chris.